Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. Galatians 5.1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. We stand fast in the liberty that Christ has given us. We're not a slave. We're not in bondage. We are free in Christ. Say amen if you're free in Christ this morning. Amen. We are free in Christ. I feel the presence of the Lord in this place. I'm so glad that you are here. God is on the move. He's doing some great things. I know there's a turmoil. I know there's a lot happening in our world with Ukraine and all kinds of things. But right now, right in here, God wants to speak to you. God wants to minister. He wants to share a word this morning. And I know there's a lot of distractions. But this morning, let's tune in to what God wants to speak to you and to speak to your heart. Welcome. My name is Makai Ermelin, pastor here at Southridge. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm looking forward to what God's going to do this morning. Today we're celebrating baptisms and we're going to see some people who have said yes to Jesus go forward in water baptism. And so it's exciting. If you have not been baptized, you say, you know what? I need to do that. I want to take that next step. Today is the day. Don't wait. Go today. During the invitation, you slip out. We, we're, we got your back. You go out there. We got clothes for We've got everything that you need because today's going to be a great day. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. If this is your first time at Southridge, we're so honored and thrilled that you would be here. Uh, We hope that not only is this a place where you can connect and meet God, but you can find a Christian family that you can grow and stay connected with and encourage you in your walk with Christ. And so if this is your first time, if you would find that connection card that's near your seat, I'd love for you to take a moment and fill that card out. Put your name and as much information as you feel that you would like to give. And we got a gift for you. And you could stop by the connect table, the welcome sign. I'll be there. I'd love to greet you. And I would love to say hello. Pray with you if you need prayer. And I would love to meet with you. Or maybe you say, hey, this is my second time at Southridge. I'm thrilled that you're here. Second time. This is great to have you. And uh, we hope this service helps and encourages you. Uh, We'd love to stay connected with you. You could fill that out. Or maybe you say, I want to get involved in a life group, a ministry team, or I want to be more involved in the church. Or I got a prayer request. We want to pray for that. Because uh, the church family is a family. And we want to rally around the family when you're going through something. We don't believe that you should do life alone. We want to be with you in it. And as you go through it, if you want to stay connected with us, you can scan the QR code uh, that you see up on the screen and you can stay connected using our app. And uh, yes, we will bombard you with push notifications unless you shut that off. All right. So that's what I do. Uh, I shut all that off. But uh, it's a great way to stay connected, listen to sermons, join small groups, ministry teams, hear about upcoming stuff. It's a great way to stay plugged in because the month of March, you're not going to want to miss the entire month of March. I know basketball, March Madness, but here at Southridge, we're going to have our own March Madness. It's going to be a great month. You do not want to miss it. Every Sunday, we're going to have something going on. But more than just that, On March 20th, we're going to be doing an open house. Uh, It'll be two years since the pandemic started from that day. And so we're going to open our doors wide. Our state's open and our county opens next week. And so we just want to let the community know that uh, we're here. We want them back. And so it's going to be a great time. I know I asked you to stand or sit, but I'm going to ask you to stand. And I I want to say, I'll I'll give you a reason why. Would you stand with me? Um, Last night, I went to bed in a comfortable bed. I had no threat of a bomb going off down my street or in my city. I didn't worry about where my kids were. 
I didn't pull them into the bed with me and hug them and hold them. I didn't sleep in the bathtub. But that's not the case for other people on the other side of the world. And I don't want to bring a downer on it, but I believe the church is still one body, whether we meet in San Jose, California, or we're in Ukraine, or if we're in Russia, or Europe, Mexico, wherever we meet, we're still one body, and we need to lift up not only just the other believers that are being affected that they can't worship this morning, or they're worshiping in a bomb shelter in a subway somewhere. So we as a church body, we're going to stand united with them. We're going to pray for Ukraine right now. And I know if you feel comfortable doing this, I, I believe the church should show a sign of support. So if you feel comfortable linking arms with the person next to you and just solidarity as we pray, I want to pray for Ukraine. You can pray silently as I pray aloud, but I believe we need to be united as a body that we say, you know what, Lord, you're still working. Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what Satan wants to do. But we're going to pray against that, right? And we're going to pray for those that are suffering. I read this morning that 253 Ukrainians have already passed away. And so we're going to pray for the country. We're going to pray for Russia too, guys. We're, we're going to pray for them. We're going to pray for America. We need, we need just as much prayer. So let's go to Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, our hearts are heavy. But Lord, we know that you work all things together for good. So right now it doesn't seem good. But we're going to claim your promise that it's going to work out for good. So I don't know what this is going to do in the world scale. But I know this, that you are sending your son Jesus to return to this earth soon. And so we need to be busy doing the Father's business, which is leading people to find and follow Jesus. And so, Father, we pray for a hedge of protection over Ukraine. Father, we pray for a great divine intervention between that conflict. Lord, may this not spill out to the next world war. May, may nuclear missiles not be launched, Father. May this not escalate, God. We could see this potentially taken off in all kinds of bad ways. So we pray against what Satan may have planned. We pray against what any demon might try to do. And so, Father, we pray for protection. We pray for calm. We pray for peace in the midst of turmoil. And so we pray that your spirit, the spirit of Jehovah Shema, the spirit of peace, that would just pass all understanding, God. We pray for the pastors and the leaders, Lord. We pray that they in Ukraine would protect their flock, God. Be with the women and the children that are suffering, God. I pray that you would send divine intervention, God. I pray that you would uh, put to flight the armies of the enemies, God. I pray that you protect. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Thank you for praying with me. You may be seated. If you have a copy of God's word, would you turn to the book of Judges? We're in a series entitled Dating Delilah, and we will conclude this series today, and uh, in the month of March, we are going to focus on, as a body, uh, the most important thing that we can, and that is populating heaven and depopulating hell and telling people about Jesus. Most important thing we can do, I know that there are political things, financial things, I know there's relational things we can do, but ultimately, telling people about Jesus is the most important thing. And so that's, that trumps everything else. And so we'll be focusing on that. But today, I really want to dive into relationships. And I know with everything going on in our country, everything going on around the world, sometimes it seems maybe it's a little bit um, off message to be talking about marriages and relationships. But I think it's a great time to talk about marriage and relationships. And the reason I think that is because as I see where our country is headed, as I see where our city is headed, as I see what is being pushed, I am concerned, not just for the um, politics and where things are happening. I'm concerned not just because I see the uh, taking away of freedoms that we once held that were just written in our constitution, being stripped away. I, I, I'm concerned, but that's not the greatest cause for, cause for concern. I'm concerned not because I see the rising crime. That is concern. 
But the reason that gets me is because the fabric of our society is being pulled apart thread by thread. And the fabric of our society is the family. And the greatest thing that you and I can do to protect the fabric of society is to have strong marriages. That's the greatest thing you can do. The best thing you can do is to love your wife, to love your husband, to have a strong marriage where everybody else around you is like, I want that. I I don't know how you got that, but I want that. And when culture right now, and especially Hollywood, is pushing pedophilia so hard right now, I'm amazed at some of the stuff that they're just pushing, and it's being just pushed on on younger kids. Uh, Jane and I were traveling, and we were just amazed at the way culture is just really preconditioning young teenage girls and boys to dress and behave. And there's an agenda behind it, and it's an agenda from the devil. And you say, well, that's hyperbole. That's hyperbolic. No, I just, you see things. And we need to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves, as believers. And maybe, maybe you're new to the church, and you're like, what did I just walk into? I know. I'm going somewhere with it. Hang with me, please. Because I think it's so important. Because I don't want to be a place where you just come and I just give you a motivational pep talk and then next week you can come back. I want to give you something out of God's timeless truth that can bring about true life transformation. You see, in 1937, average church attendance for the United States was 73%. 73% of people attended church in 1937. That held true for 60 years. You know that. And then the 1990s hit. And you just started seeing a rapid decline in the church. Rapid decline. Now we're down to about 33% of people. And we wonder, is there a correlation? Yes, there's a correlation. You see, I know some people are like, oh, I don't know about organized religion. And I don't know about church. And, and I got, I got uh, you know, this one uh, hurt by this one church and this. Hey, I'm a pastor's kid. I've been hurt so much by the church. So much. I literally had deacons try to spank me, all right? Like, that is just, like, it's craziness. I deserved it, though. I will say that. I did deserve it, all right? But at the same time, that's no excuse to not be a part of the family. All of us have been affected by divorce. There's not a person in here who has not been affected by it in some way. We all have. Does that mean we just throw out marriage altogether? Because we are rapidly approaching 1981. You know what happened in 1981? Marriages in that time were breaking apart at 53%. We're once again getting close to that number. It used to be a 50-50 between marriages. We're rapidly approaching where more people will divorce and stay married. So the greatest gift that we can give is strong marriages. So it may seem a little bit off topic, but I think it's right on topic. So I'm so thankful for the message that Pastor Pete brought last week because he gave us a scorecard last week. Because we talk about a godly relationship, but what does that actually look like? And he gave us a great scorecard. If you missed it, go on, check out YouTube or Spotify, and you can see the podcast or the video and catch it there. But as we look at this passage of Scripture, I keep asking myself a question because when we last talked, we were in Judges 16. And if you have a copy of God's Word, turn to Judges 16. We're going to look at just four verses, and we're going to be from Judges 13, 14, 15, and 16, all right? So don't worry. We're not going to be here all afternoon. I'm going to keep it brief, but I've got a lot of ground to cover because we're going to lay a foundation here that I think is so important when we talk about our marriages, dating, uh, living godly in this culture and in this world. And in this passage, I really asked myself, how did Samson get there? I mean, we ended when I last spoke that Samson is the guy that was blinded, betrayed, and then ultimately beaten into submission. 
And then he ends kind of triumphantly, tears down the pillars, and then the, the Philistines die and everything. But his life, you just think, man, you were Samson. You were this strong person that was supposed to be this judge, this ruler in Israel. How did it get there? And I think, too, this is what happens in your life and my life. When there's two ways to destroy a marriage and a relationship, you can, it's kind of like driving a car. You can drive a car into a wall and you'll destroy it, or you can just never change the engine oil. You'll still destroy it. You see, some of you, your, your, your temptation may be to have an affair. Others of you, your temptation is just neglect because work, because hobbies, because kids, school, education, uh, all kinds of things can just uh, pick away at the relationship. And so here you see Samson. Samson just blew up his life. Samson just had a train wreck of a life. But how did it get there? You know, right now it seems that when it comes to movies, Hollywood doesn't have any original ideas. So all the good movies are either superhero movies or they are remakes or prequels. I mean, I don't know if you caught, the, and caught this. If you're a Lord of the Rings fan, I kind of am. Uh, Amazon bought the rights. They're going to do a prequel of Lord of the Rings. It's going to cost them $1 billion. A billion dollars. I can't wait to see it. I'm like, hey, I, a billion dollars better be good. I mean, elves better be jumping out at me, like handing me like the ring and everything. I mean, this better be good, right? Because you spent a billion dollars. You got Ukraine and Russia going to World War III, and you thought we needed a billion dollars worth of entertainment right now. The world is crazy, y'all. Like, I think we had some better things we could have done with that billion dollars, but it's for our entertainment. Thank you, Prime. The world's nuts. But they're all about prequels. What's a prequel? A prequel is the before the story. It's the details that led up to the story. That's what a prequel is. You know, in your relationship and in my marriage and your dating, we all have issues, we all have problems, don't we? You say, no. I kid you not, Jane and I were laughing because we just went on our anniversary trip. We try to get away. Uh, once a year, we go to Hawaii. And so we try to go to Hawaii, and she was like, I'm just not even ashamed that we fight and argue on these trips. I was like, are we really having this conversation? She's like, I think it's authentic. I was like, I think it sucks. <laughs> like, we're hiking up this trail, and I'm like, this is ridiculous that we're arguing. And I always laugh to myself. I'm just like, nobody's going to, everybody's going to, like, first world problems, right, for number one. I was like, the world is literally hovering around their nuclear button. And you and I are talking about, yeah, we're glad we fight in Hawaii. I was like, what? <laughs> this is crazy. But at the same time, there's a little bit of truth to it. A little bit of truth to it that we all have some issues. We all have some problems. We all struggle with some things in our marriages and our relationships. But here's the thing that will help us. There's always a prequel to the problem. Your problem didn't just pop up like that. You see, that's the thing that I think catches us off guard. We look at Samson and we're like, how did it ha What happened? And there's a prequel. There was something that happened before that led him to his downfall. I love to ask people, what's the backstory to their marriage story? I find it fascinating. Because typically, the girl is way better looking than the dude. And I'm just like, is this a Stockholm thing? Like, what dirt does he have on you? Like, I mean, what's the, the, the domestic thing, that hand signal? I'm like looking at their hands to see, do you need help? Do I need to call the police or something? Like, because this guy is ugly. Like, <laughs> fell out the ugly tree and hit every branch on the way down. And, and I'm like, I, do, I just don't get it. 
I'm like, he's rich or something, you know? Like, he's got some patents or something? Like, I, I just don't get it. You could do so much better, right? People say that about Jane and I all the time. Thank you. But I like the backstory. And there's always a prequel to your problems and my problems. You see, in our marriages and our relationships, there's the backstory. He says, how did Samson get here to where he ended in chapter 16? He should have filled the pages of the book of Judges with his heroics, with his, his death-defying feats where he led Israel. Because in chapter 13, that's what God told his parents Samson was going to do. He's going to be a judge of Israel. He's going to deliver Israel. He's going to be great. He's going to be like David. He's going to be this awesome guy. But he doesn't do that. How did it get there? I ask myself that question when I see marriages that don't make it. What happened? I don't think they just fought over, hey, he likes it cold, she likes it hot in the room. He likes the fan on at night, she doesn't. I don't think that's what destroyed the marriage. I don't think that's what did it, that they fought over finances. Those can be things you fight over, but that shouldn't ruin it. So how did Samson get there? What led to his defeat? It started with a decline because he disregarded his vow as a Nazarite. And once he disregarded it, he was okay with defiling it. You see, there's always a slippery slope, right? But yet we as Christians sometimes are really naive to this. We just kind of love to just turn a blind eye because we say, well, that's what love does, right? Love just turns a blind eye and lets bad behaviors continue. Or we can be wise and say, what's the prequel to the problems? So if you have your Bible, let's turn to Judges 16. Notice if you would, verse number 1. The Bible says, now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there. If you have a copy of God's word, would you highlight or underline the word saw? And the Bible says, and he went into her. When the Gazites were told Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying, in the morning, when it is daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the bars of the doors of the, great, of the gate of the city and the two gateposts, pulled them up and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Verse 4. After, it after that happened, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. It all goes downhill. It doesn't say he married her. This is supposed to be a judge, right? It's supposed to be a godly person. He just visited a prostitute. Now he's living with some other girl. We don't even know how much time elapsed. Is this the same day? Is the next day? We don't know. But what is happening to this guy? It's amazing because here's the funny thing. The previous chapter, I told you we're going to cover a lot of ground. Turn one page or in your app, go to chapter 15, last verse. Here's what's amazing. The last verse Prior to what we just read, says this. Samson judged Israel for 20 years during the period when the Philistines dominated the land. The word judge right there tells us a lot about what Samson did. It meant he ruled. It meant he led. It meant he was a good leader for 20 years. So the verse leading up to the whole nasty orgy thing that he has was, hey, for 20 years, Samson did good. Was it a midlife crisis? What happened? It's the prequel to the problem, right? But it goes back deeper than that. Got your Bible? Go to chapter 14. Notice if you would, verse number one. Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman. Would you circle or underline two words? The Bible says Samson went down, and then it says he saw a woman in Timnah. 
of the daughters of the Philistines. Understand, Israel and the Philistines were at war. The Philistines were like the Vikings, all right? They would sail to a distant coast, and they would kind of anchor there, and then they would just try to take over. So that's the Philistines. They were seafaring people that had found Israel, and now they were invading it. So Israel and the Philistines were, were at war constantly, and, and, and for 40 years, the Philistines had oppressed the Israelites. They had oppressed them so much, you'll even read about it in 1 Samuel, where it says they took all of the swords and weapons away from Israel. There was only two swords in all of Israel. They were a vicious people. And yet Samson, who's supposed to be an Israelite, is going to Join in marriage to the enemy? Notice if you would, verse number two. So he went up and he told his father and his mother, saying, I've seen a woman. Circle the word seen. And Timnah, the daughters of the Philistines, now therefore get her for me as a wife. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren, among all my people, that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me. Because she looks like a stable woman who will take care of our kids, who will just be godly and a good example. That's not what it says, does it? It says because she pleases me. Ah, she pleases me. Verse number four. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Back up to verse number one. It says, and Samson went down to Timnah and he saw a woman of the daughters of the Philistines. He saw. You know, today you and I are constantly on a quest where we're looking for love. That's what we're doing. Whether you're married, you are looking for love in that relationship. That's why you say it didn't work out. We just fell out of love. So you're looking for this constant affirmation of love. This is where sometimes you'll be upset with your spouse because you're not receiving the love that you're looking for. And love can look like a lot of different things, but my big question is, he's looking for something, but does he know what he's looking for? Because his answer to his mom and his dad when they were like, why do you want to marry a woman in the Philistines? His only answer was not that, oh, hey, she has a, a great character and she loves the Lord and, 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 and I think she's got a, a, a good mindset. No, she pleases me. That's it. Just go get her. She looks good. She's hot. She's cute. Come on. That, is there more? That's all that love is. And today, if you were to look around at culture, culture is still saying the same message. It's all about the physical and the superficial. It's all about the Botox. It's all about the injections, all about the clothes. It's all about this. There's, a, there's an image. And yet today, that's why we're wondering why we're looking for love and we can't find it. As a matter of fact, even the hit 1984 song from Foreigner, I want to know what love is. They were still looking for it. <laughs> I want to know what love is. Don't ask me to sing anymore. That's all that we know to that song. That was their one hit. You didn't even know who Foreigner was. You just know that song. That's all you know. They, they were some British band. They, but even they got it right. I want to know what love is. And we're asking the same question. So here's my question to you. What does love look like? And I bet you we would all have a different answer, wouldn't we? But if we're looking for love, why would we all have a different answer? I get this. If you're married or engaged or dating, Here's a fun thing to do on your way home. Ask the other person what they think love looks like. And I guarantee both of you have a different definition. Because we're looking for something, but we're not even sure what we're looking for. But here's what I know. Here's what I know. 
Samson was looking for something in the wrong place. And when you are looking for something in the wrong place, you will always end up with the wrong people. So you are looking for love, and there's a place to look for it. And our culture is saying, hey, you can find it online at the internet. At the internet. That's terrible. Isn't it on the web or something? On the internet? At the internet? Thank you. We will pray for you later. Isn't it amazing where we go looking for love? We'll use an app. We'll go through illicit things. We'll try anything because we're just looking for love, right? Or people will say this. Don't judge me. I love who I love. I just love what I love. It could be out of bounds in God's word, but I love what I love, so that should justify it. That's what culture is saying, right? Hey, I love what I love. If I love a cheeseburger, I could marry a cheeseburger. If I love my pet poodle, I can... I don't know. world's crazy. But culture's in this decline, is it not? And we think it's going to stop somewhere. It's not. Because the culture is looking for love, but yet their definition of love is always a moving goalpost. And it's getting worse and worse and worse to now in California, you can't send your kids to the school camp because you don't know who they're going to put in their cabin. You don't know. And this is where we live in this culture that's saying, well, we're just looking for love and everybody just seems to be okay. But the problem is Samson, that was the prequel to his problems. He's looking for love, guys. And shouldn't we just be accepting of it? No. As Christians, we got to understand that, wait a minute, no, we're called to a higher standard. You see, Samson, he was looking for it in the wrong places. I noticed this, it also says in verse number one that Samson went down to Timnah. You know, Samson, for him, it wasn't that he just went down geographically, he is going down spiritually. And some of you, in your quest for love, you're not just going down geographically, you're going down spiritually. There are certain people you'll put yourself around that you will compromise what you know God does not want for your life because you're going down. And Samson was supposed to be a judge. He was supposed to be a man that was supposed to lead people out of these things. But in this passage, he's going down. Here's what's interesting. In chapter 16, verse number 4, it says he met Delilah in the valley. Is the valley up or down? down. It's down. Once again, he's going down. If you have to compromise on your standards and in your Christian values to date them and be engaged them and marry them, break up with them. You should not have to compromise. You should not have to step down. Daughters of God, don't step down. Men of God, do not step down. You step up and say, no, no, no. You have to come up to my level. If you want to date me, marry me, you want to be with me, you have to step up. It's not that I think I'm anything great, but I have a higher standard. And all of a sudden, your stock goes up, your value goes up because it's, oh, that person's hard to get, to, get with. That's what I'm looking for because I can get anything else that I want. But that right there is rare. That is beautiful. That is special. That is sacred. And we live in a culture that just says, give it up. I was driving back from a birthday party yesterday and I saw like a junior hire kit. And I was like, man, that is a sad sweatshirt. He's walking. Kid looked like he was nine, maybe the oldest 10. Sweatshirt said, virginity sucks. I was like, that's what culture, he thinks that's cool. He is in for a lifetime of heartbreak. 
He's in for a roadblock after roadblock. But yet that's what culture, because somebody thought, I can put this on a sweatshirt and this kids will buy it. And it's a message, not just to him, but to his other friends, that that's what it is. And I'm telling you, I'm tired of Christians just thinking, well, that's normal. No, it's not. You see, Samson had a prequel to his problem. His problem was that he didn't protect his purity. He didn't say, hey, I'm going to live for God. I'm supposed to be a man of God. I'm going to have some standards. Here's how I'm going to live. This is how I'm going to behave. Samson instead, he allowed himself to go down. You see, some of us, we're blaming events in our life for our marriage and our relationship problems when really it's the environment, not the event. Samson kept putting himself in bad environments. Why are you going to put yourself in a bad environment and expect a good outcome? It's not going to work. It's insanity for you to expect any different. Put yourself in a good environment. This is why I applaud you coming to church. I know this is a little bit strong. This is a little bit harsh. You thought, man, I just want a little bit of help to straighten this idiot next to me out. Talk to them. Don't hit my problems. But I'm here to tell you this morning that you've got to change the environment. So sometimes you've got to step outside of the environment. Sometimes you've got to say, what am I going to do to fix the environment? And you're doing a great job saying, I'm going to get in the house of God, get in a life group, get around other Christians. If you struggle with some things, then guess what? Say, hey, I struggle with some things. When we were in Hawaii, uh, my phone, I, I had it unlocked because we were on the island. They needed some apps for you to put on there. I basically could go back to a flip phone because my phone doesn't really do anything. As soon as we got home, I handed my phone to my wife, said, okay, lock up my phone. I was with her 24-7 so she would know if I was doing something. I don't trust myself. I'm not going to put myself in that environment because here's the thing about me, and I think it's true about you. Satan in some areas of your life doesn't even have to tempt you anymore. He just has to give you the right environment and he knows you'll do wrong. He doesn't even have to tempt you with it. He just knows, I just got to get him in the right environment, and you'll, you'll do stupid on your own. Like, I don't, have to do, I don't have to do a whole lot. You just, you, just, you just do it. And all of us have that proclivity. It's called our sin nature. We all got it. I'm the pastor of the church, and I'm saying I struggle with it. So we can all be open and honest and say, hey, we need to get some help and say, you know what? I'm going to create the right environment. So what does love look like? I read a passage of scripture at my wedding, 1 Corinthians 13. I love verse 4. It says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek his own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. You see, Samson was looking for love, but understand this. While Samson may have been looking for love, to Samson, love actually looked like lust. That's his problem. And our culture today has lust and love totally confused. Doesn't know how to distinguish the two. Because that's all we're seeing today. Just lust. And that's that carnal side that feeds to our lower, baser nature. That is the thing that Satan has been using since Genesis chapter number three, where he baited Eve. It was the lust of the eyes. It was something she could see. It was something he could draw her away from. It's what he got David with. It's what he gets strong men weak. It's, it's constant. It's this constant lust. You see, lust will feel like love until it's time to make a sacrifice. That's how you know it's lust. 
Because lust won't sacrifice. Lust is gone. Lust takes off. Lust won't stick around. As a matter of fact, you can even prove it. Uh, Lust says, I want to go to bed with you. Love says, I want to wake up with you. But in the first chapter we read, what time of night did he leave the woman? Midnight. I know this is a little, I know some of you brought kids and you're like, holy cow. That's why we got rich kids, y'all. Take them over there. Check them in. This is on you, not me. All right. But he left at midnight. She was good enough to go to bed with, but he didn't want to wake up with her. He didn't want to be committed. Some of us, we've been through that. We've been through that. It makes us feel cheap. It makes us feel used. We're thinking, what? And this is a leader in the Bible, guys. That's where he was. Because he didn't understand what love looked like. And if we're not careful, we're going to get it confused too. Because I see so many Christians taking cues from culture and getting confused of what love actually looks like. You know our problems right now in Russia and Ukraine? Our problems in the United States? It's all because of lust. Now, lust doesn't just manifest itself in the immoral. You know lust can manifest itself in our quest for money? Lust can manifest itself in our substance abuse. Lust can manifest itself at our jobs where we work incessantly. Lust can manifest itself where we never feel like we have enough material things. Lust is this drive to consume and have more and more and more. I was going to do this, but uh, I didn't want to make myself sick. I was just going to bring up a bunch of ice cream because that's what lust is. It's just ice cream. (laughs) It tastes so good, right? You're just like, oh, ice cream, ice cream, ice cream. But lust keeps tricking your brain that keep eating, even though you know you're sick. You just keep eating it. A little MSG in there. Your brain just thinks you could keep eating it until you're just sick with it. And that's what lust does. It just pushes us to the point where we are sick of it, but we keep going back to it. All the problems around the world are traced back to lust. Even the Bible says in James 4, it says, where do wars and fights come from? Don't they come from among you? From your own desires for pleasure that you war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. The scripture is letting us know that lust is the root of all this. You see what's happening in Russia and Ukraine? Lust is at the the very core of it. It's lust. That's what it is. You want to solve problems? Get a hold of lust and understand what it is and where it pops up in your life. Sometimes lust is just, I want a new car. I got to have a new car. I got to have it. I got to have it. Really? You really do? Because it's becoming your obsession. And all of a sudden, that lust now makes an idol of that object that you focus on. And Samson, he fell for it. There was three components to Samson's vow as a Nazarite. There was the vow, the first vow, hey, you don't drink anything that was from the vine. The second part of the vow is you don't defile yourself with anything dead. The third part of the vow was that you don't shave your head. Scripture lets us know from chapter 13 where he's born to chapter 16 that there were three women in his life. All three women had a part in taking one part of the vow away. Because he chose the wrong type of women. And they just take. And they take. They didn't take everything, just a little piece. And that's how Satan works. Satan's like, I'm not going to get you overnight, but I'll just take a little bit away at a time. I'll just wear you down. I've been at this game for thousands of years. And I, I, I've seen the mighty fall. And he knows, I'll just, I'll just put this in your life. I'll put this in your life. 
And as Christians, we're on this quest for love. And is there anything more innocent and pure than love? Let's be honest. Some of you fell in love for all the right reasons you thought. You, you were pursuing that person because you did love them. You didn't mean it to turn into anything worse. But it was lust. Lust says, I want it. And that was the first fiance. What did he tell his dad? He says, she pleases me. Go get it for me. That's lust. Just raw, unadulterated lust. You see, the enemy wants you to think that lust is better than love. But lust is just easier than love. Love takes work. Love just takes work. Uh, that's one of the things I notice. Anytime Jane and I get to spend extra time, it's just work. It's great, but it's work. We just work through things. And I look forward to it because, you know, when husband and wife don't get a lot of time together with no kids, no distractions, it's amazing the things you just need to unpack. It's amazing. You're just like, all right, we got seven days. Let's go. No kids, no distractions. Let's go. Let's, let's empty all of the, it's been 365 days. You've got a lot to talk about. Let's just unpack it. And sometimes we just want to stuff that down. But the best relationships say, no, 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 let's unpack it. I love you. I, let's go. This is, this is what it's for. And, and we can hear that. And love takes work. That's what love is. Love is not just like, oh, hey, I just want to sleep with that person. And that's what culture says. But we need to get back to the point where we say, no, no, I'm willing to work. And I want to be better at having a good relationship with you. But lust always kills love. But then he met the other woman in chapter 16. After 20 years of serving God. After 20 years of serving God, and he's like, hey, I'm going to go be with a prostitute. You know what that tells me? He was entitled. He's like, I've been serving God for this long. I deserve something. I get that. Isn't that human nature? Will we do good for a while? We're like, I've been so good. Like some of you, you started January 1, and you're like, man, I've been so good. I've been so good. And you're looking forward to that next tri trip where you can relax a little bit. You can let down your guard a little bit. And that was the way Satan felt. Excuse me, Samson felt. Because entitlement says, I deserve it. Lust says, I want it. Entitlement says, I deserve it. But then he met Delilah. And Delilah was a wild woman. He thought, hey, in his pride, I can handle it. And that's what pride does. Pride makes us think that we can handle it. But he couldn't. It destroyed him. And it led to his downfall, led to his ruin. Samson was looking for the immediate, not thinking about the important. But let me go back to our starting question. Samson, you were looking for love. We could tell. I mean, we've had to fast forward over several chapters. But you were looking for something. But Samson didn't know what love looked like. Because love was a lot closer to him than he realized. I told you you'd have to keep going back. Would you go to chapter 13 with me? We started in chapter 16. We saw his downfall. We see the prequel to all his problems. But really, the answer, the, the power in the prequel was found in chapter 13. Because what Samson was looking for was actually what Manoah had. He said, who's Manoah? Samson's dad. You see, Samson's dad had something that Samson always wanted because love actually looks like loyalty. When you boil it all down, love actually looks like loyalty. This week, I love to people watch. And when you're in an airport, there's lots of people to watch. <laughs> Even with their masks on, 
you could still see a lot going on. But then we got to our final destination where we were just traveling. And we're there, we're walking, and Waikiki Beach, which I do not like at all. I like quieter, out-of-the-way places. But we're walking Waikiki, and it's almost sunset. Jane and I are walking, we see this elderly couple. Really cute elderly couple. You could tell that they've had some hard years, along with some good years. They were holding arm in arm, not just because I think they loved each other, but I think it also kind of helped stable the other person as they walked. <laughs> and they were just walking slow, watching the sunset. And it was beautiful to watch them. And you could just see as they just sat there that this, for them, could be their last trip. Maybe 50, 60 years prior, they came there on their honeymoon. And maybe the kids just said, hey, mom, dad, one more time, just, just go. But there they were, just sitting there, holding each other's arms. And Jane and I just looked at each other. And we both kind of knew. It's that look you give your spouse. And you're like, I want that. I want to be them. 40, 50 years from now, I want to come back here. And the only thing I want is to share a shave ice on a bench, watching the sunset with you. And you're going to feed me a little shave ice, and it's going to dribble on my shirt. And then you're going to get a napkin. And you're going to do this. And we just don't even care anymore. We don't care. We don't care what the world's doing. This is our sunset. This is ours. You see, today culture says love looks like the perfect body. Love looks like a big bank account. Love looks like a great house. Nice cars. Love looks like you fill in the blank. But love looks like loyalty to the woman who bore your children, whose body has forever changed because of those four or five human beings. Love looks like the man who pulled a double shift to pay for college, who worked long hours before the sun got up until after the sun got down. Love looks like loyalty. Love looks like when you're in sick and you got kids with nasty diapers, and there you are, it's 3 a.m. in the morning. you got to get it to work by 5.30. That's what love looks like. And our culture doesn't get it that that's really what they want. Somebody that's just loyal. Somebody that says, hey, when I get to the point where my pants are hiked up above my belly button, you still think I'm cute. <laughs> that when my clothes are long gone out of style and I just don't care, that when I'm overweight and it just doesn't matter. That when I'm disheveled, it's okay. That's really what we all want. And the church can do a better job at telling young people that's the goal. That's what love looks like. Love looks like loyalty. I said go to chapter 13, and I'm running out of time, but I need you to see this. The Bible says, and again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them to the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren. 
and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, please be careful. Do not drink wine or similar drink, and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razors come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. And the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God, very awesome, but I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. Samson was looking for what his mom and dad had. Understand that for a woman to be barren in that culture was considered a curse. It was grounds to go find somebody else because bearing children was that important in that culture. But yet, that's not what Manoah did, was it? The Bible says that he was a man of God that prayed. The Bible says this is a man who just said, hey, lust would have taken off. Because lust is what can I get out of this? And if I'm not getting what I want, then I'm gone. But love is loyal, and when you're loyal, you don't leave, even when the problems come. And they will. There's going to be problems. But the power is that in this verse, said everything that we're looking for. That even when the relationship's dysfunctional, can we stay and say, you know what, I want this. No matter if there's wrinkles, no matter if things change, here was a husband and wife who even though they were two people had one purpose, given to them by God. And you, husband and wife, are two people, but you have one purpose. That's to be united together to accomplish what God wants you to do. And we've got so many couples that are separating over the silliest of reasons, not understanding that, wait a minute, I need to deal with this. I need to work through this. I don't need to walk away. You say, but it's hard. You don't understand what I've been through. And you're right, I don't. I don't. And you're saying, man, to to love that person, even after they betrayed me, even after they've hurt me, yes, I'm asking you to do that. I'm asking you to forgive them. I'm not saying you need to go always go back to them. I'm just saying, hey, you can still love. If they haven't broken uh, uh, too many boundaries and, 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 and things and, uh, where you're like, hey, I think there's hope for this relationship, don't just give up on it. Don't just walk away from it. You say, why? Because the prequel to all of our problems has a solution. It has a solution. It's found in 1 John 4, verse 16. You say, why is it so important that we go first and we love and there's a prequel. The Bible says in verse 16 that we love him. We love God. We're supposed to love God. Do you love God? Say amen. 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 But why do we love God? Because of the prequel. The rest of the verse says because he first loved us. How can I love my wife? Because God first loved me. I'm not a lovable person. How can God love you? We're not lovable, but yet he loved us. And so because he loves us, I can give out love and I can be loyal. Because I understand that there was a prequel that somebody went first and God went first in loving us. God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for you and for me, teaching us how to love, how to be patient, how to be kind, how to be long-suffering, how to be caring, how to be forgiving. That's what Jesus taught us in the word. And so because of that love, we can love others. So I know it's hard, but we can love. You know, I was in Orlando, exact same time Bob Saget passed away. 
I had nothing to do with it, by the way, just in case you're wondering. But it's just come out now because the family had a post-mortem done on Bob Saget to determine the cause of death. This message is a post-mortem on the life of Samson. What caused it? We have a coach, and I love this man. He comes here regularly. His name is Hal Mayer. He teaches myself and our staff to not do post-mortems because it's too late. It's dead. He's like, okay, so you can, there are some things that are helpful out of it. So he says, why don't you do pre-mortems? Why don't you try to anticipate what could destroy the event or the ministry or your life ahead of time? So I hope you look at this message not as a post-mortem, but as a pre-mortem. Because I'm tired of doing weddings that they don't turn out. I'm tired of fighting for couples more than they're willing to fight for each other. I'm tired of spending more time praying for you than you pray for you. I'm tired of getting on my knees asking God to intercede more than you are while you're out doing stupid stuff. Instead of saying, you know what, Lord, I'm going to fight on my knees for this relationship. I'm going to get in the word and I'm going to find out. I'm gonna, I know what's going on. Some of you, you know right now, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now that there's something you need to change. That you know right now, if you continue down this path, you will not be married 12 months from now. You will not be in a healthy relationship because what you're doing is already leading to your destruction. And don't come and say, well, I was dating this guy and I didn't know and I was engaged and I didn't know. Find out now and do the pre-mortem. Say, hey, what's going to hurt this relationship? Because if you don't discover it, Satan will look for it. He'll discover it and he'll bring it back. He will at the right moment. And so we as Christians need to be anticipatory and say, wait, Satan wants to destroy this marriage. He wants to destroy this relationship. So where's the weak, the, the weak link? Where is he going to get in? What area of my life could be that part that could take me down? And you've got to beat Satan to it. And you've got to say, you know what? This is it. I'm going to deal with it right now. If you're engaged, look into your relationship. Say, hey, when we say I do, understand we've got to have things dealt with. Hey, you're married right now, and you little by little may need to bring in a counselor and say, hey, we need to deal with some things because this was, this was on me. This was my fault. These are things that I need to change. And then you can ask God to heal you, to help you, and to bring wholeness to your relationship. So there's two ways to look at this message, post-mortem or pre-mortem. So you know what? Yeah. Let me go back. Let me go back in my life. What do I need to change? What do I need to work on? Holy Spirit, open my eyes and I maybe, maybe hold these things. Some of us are blind to it. We don't see it. We need help. This is why we come to church because the Bible says the word is like a mirror. As we hold it up, we can see ourselves. So we need to say, Lord, what do I need to work on? Sometimes in our marriages, we allow lust to take too big of a priority. Because we see what somebody else has in cars, houses, things, or, or other material. Instead of saying, no, I need to have love, and love is loyal. What is God speaking to you about? Can we stand, heads bowed, and eyes closed? I believe that God wants to have some of the strongest marriages at Southridge Church. Jane and I want to lead by example in this thing. Because we know the greatest gift we can give to people around us is having a strong marriage. And that's the greatest thing you can give to your family is that you stay faithful for 50, 60, 70, 80 years as long as God allows you to have life on this earth. That you say, I was faithful. I was loyal to that person. No one in this room is perfect, but we can be loyal. 
We can't say, I'm going to be faithful to that person. You're in this room. You say, Pastor, help me. Pray for me. I want to be loyal to my wife, to my husband. Is that you? You slip up your hand. I pray for you. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. You say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm struggling with these things. I, I, there's some problems i got to deal with. Otherwise, these may come back to destroy me. Because you didn't just destroy your life in one moment. It happens as a slow decline, a steady progression. Can I pray for you? Is that you, you in this room? You say, hey, pray for me. I see that hand, that hand. Amen. Thank you for your honesty. Wow, thank you for your honesty. That's so hard. You took the first step, the greatest step. Holy Spirit spoke, you answered. So right now, you say, hey, I, I, I need some help in some things. Amen. God bless you. We're only as sick as our secrets. You bring it before God, then God can deal with it. If you uncover it, God covers it. You cover it, God uncovers it. God can do a great work. I'm going to pray for you. Then we're going to sing a song together as an invitation song. And during that song, that's your moment. You can come kneel at this altar. Or you can come pray in your seat. You do whatever you want to do. You can grab the hand of your spouse and say, hey, let's just pray. Jane and I, before the plank took off, we held hands and we just prayed over the trip. And then when we uh, were taken off to leave, to go back home, we grabbed hands and we prayed. You can't pray enough over your relationship. Let me pray for you, and then we'll spend some time talking to God. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for these people. Lord, speak to their hearts. Minister to them. Draw them close to you. Father, restore what is broken. God, mend what has been destroyed by the devil. God, I pray that you would help us to see that culture wants nothing more than to sell us that love looks like lust, but love looks like loyalty. And Father, I just pray for these people that they raise their hand. They're praying for their marriages. They're praying for their relationships. I pray that they would do right. I pray that they would pursue godliness and holiness and Christ-likeness. I pray that you draw them close to you. Father, may they pursue you with one heart and one passion. May they, though they're two people, have one purpose, and that's to please and glorify you. Father, would you build up a great church filled with strong, healthy, thriving marriages. God bless these wonderful people. Father, we pray your blessing on them. Every man and woman here, God, would you give them exactly what they're seeking for. I pray for those here that they're looking for the right man or the right woman. God, would you bring it into their life? Would you bring them the right person, Father? We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together. Thank you again for spending time with us today. And a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.